In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Good morning. Well, so this is a sensitive topic. I want to be careful here. But have you ever heard something read from the Bible and you're just, you're just dying for someone to stand up and say out loud, um, actually, I don't agree with that. I, uh, I don't agree with that at all. Well, this morning you get your wish. <laughs> this statement from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians is, in my opinion, not only wrong, but also rather troubling. He says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. I imagine maybe you've heard this quoted at you from time to time. I don't know. I want to give Paul a little bit of slack here. I mean, maybe he's been taken out of context. Maybe it's a bad translation. But trust me when I say this. If you have a friend or a loved one who is living through some kind of nightmare, one of the least helpful things that you can say is, it's okay, they're there, God never gives us more than we can handle. The definitive expert on this passage, in my opinion, is the comedian Tig Notaro. Maybe some of you have heard of her. She has a story that every Christian, in my opinion, needs to take seriously. Because back in 2012, she had a very bad four months. It started when she contracted pneumonia. For that, she went to the hospital. And that's where, through no fault of her own, she contracted C. diff, which is an extremely nasty, highly contagious, antibiotic-resistant bacterium that attacks your intestines. People often die from C. diff. So there she is in the hospital. She's already very thin when she got there. She loses an additional 20 pounds. She turns into a skeleton, almost dies. Finally, she recovers. She's discharged from the hospital. The next day, her mom, at the age of 65, suffers a terrible fall hits her head, slips into a coma, and dies. Then her romantic partner broke up with her. So to review, pneumonia, C. diff, her mom dies, her partner leaves her, she comes home from the funeral into an empty apartment, and that's when she finds a lump in not one but two, both of her breasts which is when she finds out that she has stage 2 breast cancer and needs a double mastectomy. All of this happening in a four-month time span. So, just a day or two after her cancer diagnosis, still reeling from all of this bad news, she goes up on stage and she does a stand-up comedy routine. And in the middle of her set, she addresses this exact piece of scripture that we heard this morning. She's telling her story about all the stuff that's happened to her. And then she says, you know what's nice about all this? Is that you can always rest assured that God never gives you more than you can handle. 
Never, never. When you've had it, God goes, oh, all right, that's it. I just keep picturing God up there going, you know what? I think she can take a little more. And then the angels are standing by and they're going, God, what are you doing? You're out of your mind. And God is like, no, no, really, I think she can handle this. Why, God, why? I know, I know, just trust me on this, God says. She can handle this. As far as I'm concerned, Tignataro has settled the issue once and for all. She's right. And Paul, you know, God bless him. I mean, I know why he said it. We've all wanted to say it. You want to say something helpful and nice and reassuring when you're with somebody who's suffering deeply. But trust me, let's not paint God as a sadistic torturer who knows just how many bones to break before you say uncle. In fact, you know what? I'm going to take it a step further. During Lent, there's an awful lot of repenting going on, you know? But in my opinion, if anyone needs to be repenting, it's the pastors and preachers and theologians who have been spiritually abusing their charges for hundreds of years, thinking they can frighten them into repentance. It's way past time for us to stop that nonsense. So listen, you did not get into that car accident because you talked back to your mother. You did not lose the baby because you once cheated on your husband. You did not get leprosy because you had an impure thought or because your parents sinned or because you did something terrible in a previous life. Forget all that. Stop blaming yourself. There's nothing wrong with you. By the way, have you ever noticed that the people who are most likely to blame you for your suffering also weirdly happen to be the people least likely to blame corporations and, corp and corrupt politicians for climate change? Think about that. Hmm. But anyway. <laughs> well, sorry there. It's easy for me to get, get off on a rant here. I, I, I'm still... You know, I'm still up there with the angels watching God turn the thumbscrews, and I can't stop asking, why? Why do such terrible things happen to such wonderful people that I love so much? It continues to bother me. I think about it a lot. Why does a supposedly all-powerful and loving God allow such terrible things to happen? And, and really, mostly, I think about this for selfish reasons. I really want to figure this out because I want to believe that God will protect me when I'm out on my motorcycle because, you know, I want to believe he thinks I'm special. If I could just figure out a reason for all the suffering in the world, then maybe I could manage to stay, you know, on the right side of that equation and God won't let me end up like so many of the physically destroyed patients I've visited over the years. So, you know, as a kind of hedge against catastrophe, 
I want to figure this out. But notice how quickly I turn this into an abstract intellectual puzzle to be solved. Some people even pose it as a logic problem. You know, if God is all-powerful, he certainly cannot be loving. And if he's so loving, he certainly cannot be all-powerful. Riddle me that, Batman. And isn't that really the problem? This Lent, I'm teaching a class on Flannery O'Connor, this wonderful, deeply disturbing Southern Catholic writer of the 1940s and 50s. She said, suffering is not a problem to be solved. It's a mystery to be endured. Ms. O'Connor knew a thing or two about suffering. Her father died of lupus when she was 15 years old, and just 10 years later, she herself came down with the same symptoms. And over the next 14 years, she would endure increasing pain and decreasing mobility, never emitting a trace of self-pity as her immune system attacked her internal organs until she died at the height of her powers at the age of 39. Suffering is not a problem to be solved. It's a mystery to be endured, she said. She used to love to make fun of overeducated liberals from the North, trying to outsmart God with all their abstract theories and propositions. Meanwhile, as she experienced it, the grace of God continues to spread. The redemption of our, of our suffering continues to work itself out in the very substance of nature itself. She reminds me of something D.H. Lawrence once said, I never saw a wild thing that felt sorry for itself. I never saw a wild thing that felt sorry for itself. Does a fish ever wonder about the injustice of the universe while he's getting eaten by a bear? I don't think so. I'm not saying the fish isn't experiencing extreme pain. I'm just saying the fish isn't adding to his pain by blaming God for it. It doesn't occur to the fish that the order of reality is anything other than what it is. So maybe the problem of suffering isn't a problem with God. Maybe it's a problem with our brains. It turns out that, you know, of the hundreds of thousands of species that have ever lived on the planet, we are the only ones to imagine that suffering might be optional. The problem of evil, it turns out, is not a God problem, it's a human problem. More precisely, it's a brain problem. It's a consciousness problem. Because for whatever reason, we went ahead and ate that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and so now we possess the capacity to delude ourselves with abstract theories about who deserves to suffer and who doesn't. And quite conveniently, it almost always seems to work out that it's the other people who deserve their suffering, whereas our suffering never fails to hit us as anything other than a fresh surprise and a cosmic betrayal. 
Meanwhile, Jesus is waiting for us to calm down and listen to a good story. Like Flannery O'Connor, Jesus knew this is not a problem to be solved with our brains because our logical positivist brains are the problem. So Jesus tries to get us, at any rate, to shift to a different part of the brain, the storytelling part, the imaginal part. Listen to this story, Jesus says. It turns out there's this fig tree. It's not doing well, not bearing fruit. And there's this gardener who won't give up on it. He's digging around the roots. He's loosening the soil. He's laboring in the sun and he's laying in fertilizer and he's pouring on water. Jesus says, just, just stop trying to solve this problem for a second and listen to the sound of the gardener working away at the roots. Can you hear him? Listen to the sounds of his quiet labor. I can hear the sound of his spade hitting the dirt. I can hear him grunting softly as he works away. I can feel the breeze meeting the sweat on his face and cooling him down. I can feel him pausing for a moment to rest and the energy being restored to his arms and his shoulders. I can feel the tree. I can feel the soil loosening up around its roots. I can feel the roots drinking in that water. I can feel the radiance of the sun as it lights on its branches. I can breathe in the oxygen that pours out of its leaves. I can feel the life energy coursing through every one of its cells. As God said to Moses, now we've entered sacred ground. Take off your shoes. Let your toes spread into the cool green grass. Moses is there with the burning bush. He takes in the sight of that tree, fully alive, pulsating with energy, radiant and yet not consumed. And he says to God, Who are you? Who are you in this story of the fig tree? Are you the tree? Yes. Are you the gardener? Yes. Are you the breeze? Yes. Are you the oxygen? Yes. Moses said to God, Who are you? Amen.